Uh, hello and welcome to the Dialogue Box, a podcast <laughs> with Bren Frey and Chris Light. Uh, but Chris isn't here, so you get Alan Hazelden and Corey Martin instead. Hello. <laughs> hello, everybody. It's good to be here. Uh, it's good to be finally talking to you. I know you've been incredibly busy. You just launched a Monsters Expedition. Uh, busy? What? No, no. That's, that's not how launching games works. No. How does launching games work? Because you just oh, launched two weeks ago, just right? Just click a button, right? And that's, that's it. And the, game, the game's been done for months, and you click the button, and then people play it, and then there's no bugs, and uh, everything's, everything's lovely. That's, that's definitely how releasing games work. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> no, and it, it hasn't been so bad, I guess. Um, the, the, the stream of email support has, has trickled. Um, there's still some minor issues like save file corruption, um, but you know, um, easy, easy come, easy go. Uh, but the game's good. People like the game. People like the game enough that they don't, that, that when, when it crashes, when their computer crashes and it seems to delete their save file, they send a nice email rather than a mean email. Um, and then they email me their save file and then I fix it for them. Uh, That's good. Yeah, so that, that that could be worse. Yeah. And having that, uh, there's like a save backup system in the game, right? Does that, does that avoid any headaches there, I'm guessing? Uh, it means that when they send me their save file, there is a backup to recover from. Um, but actually the worst problem is when it's like, means that there isn't any actual data that's been lost. It's just the save file got confused when it restarted at the wrong, when, when a computer crashes at the wrong time. And so then the game starts up and goes, oh, I, I don't see the list of save files anywhere. I guess I'd better start a new save file, even though there's a perfectly serviceable save file on the disk. Um, so we, we just need to patch it so that it actually looks, it looks for recovery files before deciding that it's a fresh start. Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the worst possible uh, outcome. Like there's, yeah, yeah. I, it sounds like you, I mean, considering you just had a launch where you came out on every platform at the same time and like a ton of Apple devices and Steam at the same time. Two platforms at the same time. Oh, I thought you, you didn't do consoles as well? Oh, no, no, no. I'm oh, okay. not a masochist. I mean, but when you say two platforms, you're you're talking about still PC, Mac OS, TV OS, iOS. Like those aren't all. Yeah, but it's it's, it's PC and Apple Arcade, and Apple right. Arcade has yeah. Like we we did have a a crash on the newest MacBooks, so that that was fun. Um, so it would have been nice to catch that before launch. Um, but that's that's fixed now. Um, but yeah, Apple Arcade, kind of most of the problems are the same, and we find out all the differences between iOS and tvOS and macOS before launch. Um, well, that's good. It's more, pre more predictable probably than PC, where everyone's got a different configuration. Well, I just figured yeah. there's got to be, I mean, I guess it's not as bad as Android, because there's fewer Apple devices, but that does mean you have to figure out you're launching with touch controls as well as PC controls at the same time. Um, and I, I just imagine there's gotta be between, maybe there is a lot of shared lineage between all the Apple devices. I just assumed it would be a massive pain. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't not a massive pain, but yeah. um, well, it, it's not the same kind of pain as doing a console launch would have been because Apple Arcade only had one set of certs for all three iOS, tvOS, macOS. I see. And okay. I think I think the real pain would have been having to do multiple sets of certs simultaneously. So by avoiding a console launch, and we, we will do a console launch. Um, spoilers. Um, <laughs> I mean, probably, who knows? Um, could all get hit by a truck and then uh, drown under rising water. So. I think uh, your your game will do really well on the Switch. I really like it. It's very it's the kind of game I would love to play on a plane or something like that too. Like um well, in a world where there are planes. But like 
in in general something about that game it's cozy i think it'll do super well on the switch i was um you did quite well on steam too i was pretty impressed yeah we did like i think we did about 10 times better than previous game launches which mm -hmm. is more a sign of how niche those previous games were than how much better than 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 like this one hit like a massive massive audience but mm -hmm. we did pretty okay so you think this game did better than the other ones because it was um, less niche? I mean, how much of it do you think is twenty twenty? Like, so no, I think I think mostly it was the game being less niche, plus this game just having more pre-release hype. Uh, honestly, yeah, more more scope, more budget is like also people. <laughs> people who might be a little sensitive to like, oh, this looks like a mobile game or whatever, like won't, wouldn't dismiss this one as quickly because it's like clearly got a much higher budget. And, yeah, um, this this definitely didn't look like a mobile game. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it had a it, I don't even believe it. in that as a like derogatory thing. I don't mean to yeah. say that well, it, just it, like it's- It'll mentally, I mean, games that are on phones are cheaper, and so if you launch a game that looks like a phone game, people expect a lower price point. Um, I think your art does position your, your games in a certain sort of a way. It, it sets expectations for consumers when they see a certain art style. Um, that's why I said like the, the voxel or pixel art look makes me think, oh, this is going to be an indie game. It'll probably be more difficult than, say, like I, I would imagine just by looking at Bonfire Peaks, the game you're launching, just by looking at that art style, I would think, okay, this game is probably going to be harder than this other game, uh, Monsters Expedition, which it is. Like, I, I think the art style mm -hmm. for your two games. <laughs> I, I don't know. The hardest puzzles in Monsters Expedition are definitely harder than the hardest puzzles in my game. But that to get to the end of it. But I think, um, I think your game will be perceived as harder. Because it's harder out of the game. And that's all art style? It's not art style, it is the pacing of the puzzles. Um, like you have more hard puzzles on the critical path. Right, right. Um, and I, I think even like structurally, the fact that you have like a, a set of levels you can choose from, and there's like some in this hub here, will push more people to be completionist than my game where you solve a puzzle, and then by virtue of having solved the puzzle, you're not at the last puzzle that you skipped. So it's kind of subconsciously pushing you to press on rather than go back. Um, whereas seeing a list of four levels, even if you only need to solve two to progress, I think more people will feel like they should be solving all of the puzzles before going on. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that's true as well. Also, there's nothing like, is it when I last, I mean, I haven't played the newest demo. I played the last demo, but there was nothing that said that you explicitly like, hey, you're ready to go on. You kind of figure out that you have enough boxes to go climb to the next area, right? Yeah. So. Well, and we've all been like, or like at least some subset of gamers have been trained to like to sweep an entire game before they move on. Mm -hmm. um, it's just what you do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just if uh, I think maybe some of it comes down to just like signaling, hey, like forward progress is what you should have your eye on um, or is an option, at least if like if you're however you're enjoying the game, play it that way. right? Um, well, I, I think no matter what, your game will be perceived as more difficult because it is more difficult out of the gate. Like a Monsters Expedition had a very gentle on ramp, you know. Uh, like and there's just such character. a nice flow in a monster's expedition of like like there's no break between puzzles uh it's just because it's seamless throughout and because some of them some of them are explicitly not even trying to stump you at all right it's like, I think, there's I a think nice that flow. is actually a big part of it which is like because there's not like super delineated levels we can get away with more trivial levels and it doesn't feel the same way that if if I opened up a puzzle game and it had like just a sequence of levels and the first 10 levels were basically trivial, I'd go, oh, maybe this game isn't for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas just making it continuous lessens that negative 
be like, which to me is negative, but to some people is going to be exactly what they want. But like, and there's something satisfying about uh, the the gameplay, just in and of itself, though, like audiovisual feedback and stuff of when you're like pushing uh, trees over and stuff. So there's something satisfying a, about that that makes it like even if you're pushing over a tree just to create a bridge and there's no challenge, it still feels like there's a nice progression uh, feel that I at least I got from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the game feel. I like the the music and the general feel of moving around feels really good. Uh, it That definitely adds a lot. Like, it just feels good to push over a tree. Like, that's an important, kind of like that core loop is really important. I dig that. I, I think there is just a very gentle on-ramp. I think there's a risk in having you go from one puzzle to another immediately and that usually the risk doing with doing that is that people never want to back out. They never... Uh, in something like Baba is You, you go you go to a level select screen, you click a puzzle, you go play that puzzle, and then when you're done, you get kicked back out to the level select screen. Um, and mm -hmm. that gets people used to the idea of backing out and going back to the level select screen. It doesn't feel negative when you back out. Whereas... Mm, I'm not sure I agree with that. Compared to I... compared to just having you go from one puzzle to another to another, that's a lot, I'm telling you, because with Kind, like getting people to back out I think was even harder than something like Bob as you because because you were accustomed to the idea of being kicked out to a level select screen it didn't feel like failure when you went out as much yes no like there, there's definitely something there but I I think Bob with you is an interesting example because I feel like Empoli has mentioned the fact that people will get super fixated on one level and mm -hmm. because because it's just there and they're staying at it even though they have like 10 other levels unlocked they'll hit their head against this one level rather than trying something else man that's, um, that's such a hard problem too because like i mean it's something i've struggled with in kind it's something that i've i i do it in every puzzle game like i refuse to mm -hmm. give up a puzzle i imagine mm -hmm. you probably experienced it too to some degree like people would start oh, playing yeah. an island and they would sure. want to back out i i actually think Gwen, you're in a really good place to solve this problem with Labrat because you can just make your AI kick you out to the menu when somebody's taking too long. <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that. I think that might I, be. I think you have to be careful it. about how patronizing. I think you should consider it. Maybe I'll think. About, I'll think about it. Maybe for some of the puzzles, actually, that might be interesting in certain yeah. places. Yeah, ideally, if you can make it. Uh, if you can make it feel like, oh, this is a joke, and not this is like yeah uh, this is patronizing like you say like to, to have it be like oh it's funny that this mean-spirited thing happened to me as opposed to like a judgment of your performance well the thing is people tend to re people respond to something as being funny or good if they're having fun with the game and if they're not they respond to it as being patronizing and this is true yeah. for all kinds of things like not that many people have played lab rap but i've watched uh the people who are reasonably good at it really enjoy the stats they they're like oh when i'm doing poorly uh this i don't feel so bad because i see a lot of other people that get this puzzle uh whereas uh, sorry in labret the the puzzle game i'm working on now for people who are listening uh there's statistics on the screen that show you how many people have completed the puzzle and there's different metrics around like here's who's currently playing the same puzzle you are on steam um and I, this was an experiment. I wanted to see how people would respond if they could literally see uh, what percentage of people who tried a puzzle completed it. Would that be fun? And overwhelmingly, it is not fun if you are one of the people who is struggling with a puzzle. Uh, you find that extremely patronizing. But yeah, and I'll say on Kine, I did an experiment um, where if, if you spent too long on a puzzle, um, and you start beating your head against like a wall too much or something like that, the other characters would start barking at you, being like, hey, come play with me. You're clearly not having fun over there. Like I experimented with different lines that the other characters would say, and they would just pop up a little speech bubble on the screen. People didn't like it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nobody liked that. At, at least it's, it's better than, uh, like that was one of the few things, like the, I love The Last Guardian, but there was a, a few issues, one of which is like, if you take a certain amount of time on a puzzle, the narrator will start giving you hints 
with unprompted. And uh, I was having a nice time being stuck and uh, did not want it. Um, So that was kind of annoying, but I get that they they wanted a certain sense of flow in the game. And you just, sometimes you, you know, you choose a bad solution to that difficult problem. I started doing that in Lab Rat, but in an evil way. Like if you get stuck for too long, the AI gives you hints and they're stupid. It's like- Wait, that's based on taking too long? I thought it happened in one specific It'll happen no matter what in that one level, but it'll happen again later, you'll see. Because you, how, how far did you get in Lab Rat? Did you complete the first I, I played the, 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 the recent build descent. Yeah, all right. For people um, who, yeah, uh, I have a, I'm doing a very closed beta with like 30 people for Lab Rat right now, of which Alan is one of the people. And then I'll be opening it up to another closed beta for everybody that signed up on the, um, if you go to labrat.study, you can sign up for, uh, to be part of the Lab Rat beta and you can beta test the game. I think I'll probably be doing that in December after I've, you know, launched Kine on Steam. We should probably promote our stuff because that's what this is about. Kine is coming to Steam um, October 19th. Is that the month? Yes, October 19th. (laughs) (laughs) And we're we're doing this, um, I'm here today chatting with Alan and Corey because we're about to um, launch, Corey and I are about to launch our games into the Steam Festival. Corey is launching Bonfire Peaks into the Steam Festival. This is a game that's upcoming. I don't know. Have you announced when you're launching it, Corey? I'm just you early said 2021. Uh, yeah. Early 2021. This is yeah. Alan's um, for people in the chat. I, it occurs to me this will probably be in the podcast too. And you guys have no idea who we are. Corey is launching Bonfire Peaks. Alan has just launched uh, a Monsters Expedition, which is another glorious little puzzle game that you should absolutely check out. And Alan is. Um, trying to be a, uh, experimenting with publishing. I believe you're publishing Bonfire Peaks, is that right? That's right. Um, so this is the first game that I'm publishing that isn't something that is like made by me or like I'm I'm part of the core team and like I'm just coming in later and going, hey, this is a cool project. Uh, want, want some help? And still in the process of finding out what publishing a game like that is, is like. But I mean, so far we've just announced it so far and that's, that's been great. So I'm assuming everything else is going to be. Well, and that's, that's uh, the most amazing thing about uh, how uh, Alan just shipped a game that involved a lot of hard work leading up to its release and has involved a normal amount of support post-release and the whole time has also been supporting my game's development. So uh, Alan needs a vacation. It does sound like you need a vacation, Alan. What is, um, but just to wrap this up. So if you're, if you are listening to this out there, please take a moment and wish list Bonfire Peaks and wish list Kine and wish list Lab Rat while you're at it and play a monsters expedition. Cause that's what we're here today to talk about. So Alan, why are you publishing games now? What, what got you into this? I don't know. <laughs> you're like, um, Corey, wha- Corey, why, why am I publishing games? <laughs> Uh, I, I think you said it uh, casually in conversation one night uh, while probably uh, not thinking cl- clearly, and I took you up on it. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew just the 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 fact is I I was I was weighing options for um, talking to different publishers. I met with some publishers at PAX East, the last event before everything happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was uh, not sure what to do with the game, and uh, and Alan suggested that he publish it. And uh, I I can't couldn't imagine somebody who understands the game better uh, to be working with, and that's like a, definitely an important part. So, because um, even if someone believes in the game, like for someone to to give you the critical feedback on its design that I I can get from Alan is. Uh, is, yeah, it just, just doesn't exist. So uh, it's been uh, really, really helpful in making the game uh, that much more special. And Alan also helped to bring on some external help to make the game prettier. Um, yeah. Mary Kalegi and, uh, and Zach Sorez. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing either correctly. Let me ask those people how they pronounce their names, because you do this every time. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, they've made it so much, uh, so much nicer looking. And uh, I love it. I love the tilt shift look that you went for there. And and just in general, the game is it is looking really lovely. I can't wait to play. I'm going to play the demo again once the Steam Festival started and my stuff's all live. And we should mention uh, the demo is live right now. It's uh, Mm -hmm. the game's participating in the festival, but uh, the demo is available now and is uh, will be available after the festival. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a good demo. Um, I think I I watched somebody play it earlier today, and I think it's still like a good demo is like thirty to sixty minutes, and I think this game is. This demo is probably longer than that for most people. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Are um, you? Why do like, you think that? Do you think t- longer than that leaves people satisfied and they don't want any more? Um, partly it is because a good demo ends on a strong "Hey, thanks for playing. Please wishlist this." And mm-hmm. anyone who stops playing before that isn't going to hit that screen. And hopefully, if they stop playing before that, they still had a good time and they still wishlist it. Mm-hmm. But um, and you're but, right. I think I, an hour is a good, reasonable play session to expect out of somebody. So I yeah, it, yeah. I hadn't hadn't. Uh, I wouldn't guess that it was that long, but um, I, I'm almost I'm glad to hear that it's that long because yeah. I mean, uh, it's a good sign for like the final game having a lot of content, which final game will do. Um, like yeah, the this new demo has like. It covers an extra mechanic that the previous demo didn't, um, but there's a bunch more mechanics later in the game that are even cooler than the stuff teased in the demo. And yeah, like yeah, there's a lot of cool yeah, it's, levels. It's it's hard to want to show like uh, you know if if somebody understandably gets the impression from early levels of like how much could there be to this. It's nice to to show them a little glimpse of it, but then also to save like the best stuff for when it's out. Hmm. This is something I've been thinking about a lot for Lab Rat because it's something I'm experimenting with is the idea of you have the intro levels that introduce the mechanics, but I feel like within 15 minutes, we need to blindside somebody with something that's like here, a taste of what's coming later, just to give people that idea that uh, that there is more to the game, that this is building towards something. Because I think it is possible that people won't realize it's building towards something. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, like, a lot of puzzle games will show you, like, a, a massive unwinnable puzzle early on or, or something that you just don't have the information to, some kind of hint, some kind of indication that there is something coming later that that's bigger. Um, I, I've always really liked that. Or I think one of the... That being said, I think one of my favorite demos for puzzles so far was the pedestrian one because it really did like it felt like there was it was nice. There was a flow. There was a gentle arc. We're slowly introducing mechanics. And then right before the end, it was like, by the way, six more new mechanics. The end, like just rapid fire. That was, I think, That's another nice. good way to do it. And then I was so I, I got that. I was like, I should buy this. I'm hearing only, I've heard only good things about it. I, I should get around to it. I think somebody in the chat just mentioned Snakebird that uh, tends to do that quite a bit. Uh, or Snakebird did that, that they had a, a challenge level that you hit really early. Yes. Yeah, like that's, because that's interesting because that's in the context of the game rather than in the context of a demo. And I think it hits differently there. Um, but like it is always a super nice trick of like mm-hmm. going, okay, well now like you're, you're slowly getting acclimatized with these levels, but like, <laughs> here's this ridiculousness. Yeah. But, but the thing with Snakebird is like, it, and then it doesn't drop back off. So it's not like <laughs> a, it's not like a suddenly hard level and then, okay, let's get reasonable again. It's just, no, now the game is that hard. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking about this pacing stuff a lot lately. I, I think, uh, like, for the first couple of levels of Lab Rat, we have one that's just like, here's a tutorial, and then one that's like a little bit harder, and then one that's super easy again. Because I found, like, if you can give people a little bit of a sine wave early on, so you can be like, this game will be hard, I don't want to mislead you, but here, breathe. Uh, I, I think that helps a little bit. 
been thinking about in general different ways you can indicate that there's new mechanics coming later because if you look at the stats on steam most people will make a judgment about your game in like half an hour to an hour uh like and if if you can't hook them if you can't convince them that there's like quite a bit more coming later on uh i think that's it's just something that you have to it's difficult because you have to teach somebody what the mechanics are while also indicating that something that this is building towards something that there's something else further on it's not something I have a solution to. It's something I don't think I did super well necessarily with Inkind. It's probably something that you have to solve on a game by game basis, right? That it's like there's a different answer each time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Sorry, that's the end of that. That's the end of my thoughts on that. <laughs> but yeah, we're both coming to the Steam Festival. Uh, Bonfire Peaks is coming to the Steam Festival. Kind will be in the Steam Festival. This is a big one for me because like. Uh, Kind obviously came out um, on all the other platforms about a year ago, and so Wait, it did. I didn't. I didn't even notice. Well, Wait, uh, your game. Your game's out. When? Sorry, no. I'm, I'm. I'm being the stereotypical person who is excited about Kind but has never, but, but doesn't realize it's already out. There are there there are quite a few of those actually. Yes, a lot of people were like, a "Wow, I've been waiting." A lot of people only play on Steam. Yeah, that was so. surprising. And there was like a another drum up of like epic store backlash stuff when i posted on steam it was small though so it's fine um yeah it, it's there are people for whom steam is the only platform but there i am so glad i came out on the epic game store first it was it was a good idea it funded the game but it does also mean that like i've split i've split the audience and so now getting a critical mass to like try to chart on steam is difficult and that sort of thing and so i'm well, really the thing is like I don't even think, I think a lot of the people who just play games on Steam, it's, it, it might not even be because they're like, because I hate Epic or whatever. That's just where they play games and they don't know the game's already out. And that's, it, there's, it's not any more dramatic than that, you know? And then, yeah. so when it does come along, it's just like, a, oh, this game, I remember seeing this trailer a long time ago or whatever, you know? But I think Steam makes it easier to just like, be passively interested in, in a game and wait until it's at a discount and you buy it then. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't know if you can wishlist games on the Epic Store, but even if you can, it feels like that's not a thing that as many people are doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, if I could go back and do it again on the Epic Game Store, I would have launched with a free demo right at mm -hmm. launch. I think their audience is used to getting a lot of free content. Um, the Steam, the play on Steam, the play on Epic is very different. Uh, my concern with Steam is that because I've split the audience, I'm not going to get a critical mass enough to get into the like popular upcoming or the the popular new releases. And if you don't chart there on the front page, that's a major drag because then you can't like, what do you call it? Uh, you you can't get that kind of like the ball rolling down the hill situation. It it doesn't matter if people have heard of the game if they don't see it on the front page if they. Uh, haven't wishlisted it yet, you know what I mean? So splitting yeah. the audience is bad in some ways. It's good in other ways. The I don't know. Like, they uh, are very have, different. Yeah. How, how many games that came out on Epic have been coming out on Steam so far? Because like that's, that's going to give you some insight into how strong those launches were. And I feel like I haven't seen a game yet that came out on Epic that has bombed when it came out on Steam, but also I wouldn't have noticed so oh i mean I, there are definitely for one thing my game is a lot more niche than a lot of the bigger games that came out on the epic game store i think you could say take you know untitled goose game launched two weeks ago right oh yeah but that's like an edge game yeah but i mean compare their epic game store sales to their steam sales um yeah, so we were going to put like, this on Steam, so we should stop talking about this. Well, when Whoops. when that was a, a gigantic hit, was that mostly on the Switch or like I, I don't I don't even oh, know I, where. I think it was what, a what, hit. On what's both. your point with Untitled Goose Game? I, I don't think it, it didn't do great on Steam. Comp I think it did great. I don't think it did as well as uh, it. How do I put this? I, I think it did phenomenally well at launch, and that would have been a hard thing to follow up with on Steam. But I, my understanding was it, it didn't uh, get like a huge second wind on Steam necessarily compared to something like, oh, uh, what's a good example? Griftlands did well on the Epic Game Store and then did even better on Steam. Hmm. 
Ah, uh, that's your like a bad comparison because Grifflands was early access on Steam, wasn't it? On oh, no, on Epic, wasn't it? And it's still early access on Steam. Uh, and like that. Okay. So like you coincide re- the release on Steam with a big early access update, and that's a bigger marketing beat than um than um like oh yeah it's it's out but here now. But also, Untitled Goose Game have a thousand Steam reviews in a week. That's not bad. Well, yeah. I'm... But compared to like they were, it's it's a household name. Like it's a thing that it was such a big deal at launch that it was inescapable. And like, I, a thousand reviews in a week is not is escapable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's hard to say because it's a scale of things. Um... Yeah, we I should... know. I'm, I'm basically saying you should be less down about it. I think your Steam launch is going to go decent. All right. Well, I'm just nervous. So, Manifold Garden, uh, that came to Steam now, right? Is it? No, it's coming. I think, I think it's coming around the I same think we've time. got Manifold Garden and um, Superluminal and Kine all probably launching around the same time. Well, that would be Sojourn also just came. came oh, yeah. Sojourn. That's a good reference point, actually. How did that do? Oh dear. Sorry, Gwen. <laughs> Sorry, Gwen. <laughs> what game just came out? Uh, the Sojourn, um, which uh, is a cool first-person puzzle game. So I I started playing on Epic. I never got around to finishing it, but it, it seemed neat. Hmm. I didn't um, play that. But one. it's got really wow. mixed reviews. And only ten of them. Of the ten user reviews. People hate it, huh? <laughs> wow! We're being, I, I really this is like streaming this game. on the internet, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not saying anything that isn't on the internet. Yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a messenger, man. Yeah, uh, it's felt, a really good game. You know, I always feel I, weird. I liked it. I feel weird saying. Corey, Corey and I will will play it. We'll we'll review it on Steam, and then I'll have twelve reviews. Hmm. I bump it up to. Uh, uh, maybe not. You know, there was another Sokoban game that came out on, like a, a block pushing puzzle game that came out on the Epic Games Store. Um, it was really cute. I started playing it and I just, I didn't get into it. I didn't feel like they embraced the grid enough. It felt weird. What game am I thinking like, of? What does embracing the grid mean for The grid. The, the, they oh, like, the grid. It <laughs> was definitely oh, a grid. This is a gritty Sokoban remake. <laughs> yeah. No, if you're not grimdark, get out, get the hell out. No, the it, it was like you moved to um what was it? It was unusual because it felt you could move around in a way that felt freeform. You didn't feel like you were locked to the grid, but the actual when you moved to the puzzle elements, they were locked to the grid, and it it didn't it, the game feel was off for me. Um, even if the puzzles very were good. curious about this game, I don't think I heard about it. Yeah, you were talking about it in the Discord. I think it's one of your pinned ones, actually. What, one of the... Um... Oh, you're saying The Last Campfire. Yeah, The Last Campfire. On Epic? Uh, maybe it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, Last Campfire was a really interesting one. Because um, that was like... What's the, what's the studio? Hello Games. Yeah, Hello they, Games. They made No Man's like, Sky. So that's, that's a company that has so much potential um, momentum behind a game. And then they released it and didn't really seem to hit particularly. Well, it was um, well outside their core competency. It's not what they. It's one thing if you want to take your your uh, audience and you want to give them, like if they were going to release another game similar to No Man's Sky, that'd be one thing. But the people who are into No Man's Sky aren't necessarily going to be into a, a reasonably challenging grid based puzzle game. You know what I mean? Uh, also. I looked at that and it was very, I mean, did you get far in it? I, I'll admit I only put in an hour. I probably got like two thirds of the way through. I think we need to go back to it. Was it reasonably difficult? No, like there's a few spikes, a few mm-hmm. difficulty spikes, but broadly the puzzles were pretty, um, pretty basic. Yeah. I mean, like it definitely... going 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 for variety of mechanics rather than going in depth on any particular one, which is smart and can work. 
like it worked for maybe well, not really. There wasn't much. I think they were going for something that was atmospheric and pretty, and and uh, did well based on kind of like a mysterious sort of environmental narrative. In the yeah, same and that's, that's probably more in common with like um, you know Zelda games and Uncharted puzzles and stuff that are usually just like yeah, it's not it's not the core focus of the game, and it's just. It's just like there's maybe one puzzle per mechanic or something, or maybe a bit more. Well, and how much can you explore something when you? I mean, I don't think I'd put it like that because in Zelda, the Zelda had a like Zelda was about exploration and also combat, you know, and also there but just was just the puzzle side of Zelda. Yeah, so it it took the. But the thing is, if you ask people who play Zelda what they want, it's probably not just rip out all the exploration and the combat and give me just only the puzzles, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if that was... Um, I think there is such a thing as a game where... For that, but I would love to make a Zelda game with just puzzles. You need to. You need that pacing. How do I put it? Actually, that's In kind to... of what Cadence of Hyrule is. I'm sorry, what? Cadence of Hyrule. Yeah. Oh, oh, um, I haven't played it. That's that's um, it's rhythm though, right? Like it's very much a rhythm puzzle. Yeah, like it's 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 rhythm puzzles, but it's like it's 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 combat puzzles rather than combat combat. If that distinction makes sense. And then the rhythmness means that they can get away with the puzzles not being particularly puzzly. It's it's randomly generated, right? Probably, I don't yeah. know for sure. I mean, at that point, how do you, where do you draw the line between puzzle and just kind of strategic arcade game? We're getting into definitions now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what's a puzzle game? I just had to ban somebody from Puzzle Discord for, for asking that while we we're on this chat. That seems reasonable. You're not allowed to ask these questions. Oh, that's um, yeah, the, it just the goes line... down the, the the rabbit hole that goes down doesn't feel like you just get further and further into the analytical of these things, and it's just like we're not coming out of this with any new information. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I just think um, Gris is a game that's beautiful, and you can get lost in it. And there are puzzles, but the puzzles are a canvas upon which this weird narrative experience exists. And I think that's probably what they were maybe going forward with the last campfire, but it didn't quite punch up hard enough in that direction, um, in my opinion. I, I didn't think it was like, I didn't I didn't immediately get lost in the same way I got lost in Gris, but again, I only put an hour into it, so I don't know. I, w I would say I think the last campfire is, is uh, thinkier than- Oh yeah. Than, forgive my pretentious pronunciation, but than Gris. Gris, excuse me. I think that is the <laughs> correct way to say it is Gris. Um, I also I, I didn't really enjoy it. I like I played a little bit of Gris, and, <laughs> and I didn't uh, I didn't really like it. Just uh, because I mean it's so beautiful, um, uh, but from a gameplay perspective, like I wasn't really enjoying the platforming. wasn't really enjoying. It had the to be. It was shallow. It had to be shallow. The gameplay had to be shallow in order to. And it's like the my my least favorite or like the worst crime in platformers is like happens a lot in that game where a jump that's impossible to make is like really close. So uh, you you question whether or not it's like you're not getting enough of a running start or whatever it is. And that uh that I don't like. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, so a better example, my one of my favorites is Inside. That is also a game. It has puzzles. The puzzles aren't that hard at all uh they well they the puzzles exist to evoke an emotion a feeling they're extremely variety like there's extreme variety in what the puzzles are and it's mostly about sinking into an experience and in that case the experience is like a horror a kind of tense kind of experience you know what i mean um and that is a game where the puzzles exist as a canvas for the experience of the game as opposed to a game where a game like Zelda, which is a, a big game with puzzles in it, or a game like um, a Monsters Expedition, which is just a puzzle game where the experience, I would say the, the narrative is beautiful, 
I love the cute little story elements, but they are very much like a, a wrapper. You could easily move them around from one place to another. Um, it's really sweet, but you probably could have done some completely different, really sweet thing. I, I mean, you can speak to this. Like, I, w I saw the development of a monstrous expedition, so I saw the different kind of narratives you tried. But the narrative was more of like a, it was a wrapper after the puzzles were there, kind of, right? Um, yeah, I mean, what, what's the question? Uh, I'm just uh, a monster's expedition versus inside. What's what's the difference? <laughs> I mean, the, the difference is that inside cares about its wrapper more, and the monster's expedition cares about its puzzles more. Or a better way to put it is the puzzles are the wrapper. Ooh. Like the that's the part you're missing, right? Like the goal was to evoke a feeling, and the puzzles were just a way to do that. Um, I think Alan described inside as a roller coaster ride, and I uh, like if you don't think of that in a derogatory way, I'm on board with that description. Yeah, I did. What do you have I, against I'm sure, roller coasters? Well, I don't. I, I, don't <laughs> well. I don't remember if I meant that. Uh, as a uh, derogatory, but I will now claim that it wasn't meant to be derogatory. Um, it was just like when like Martin Scorsese called Mar when Martin Scorsese called Marvel movies uh, roller coaster rides. Like a lot of uh, he said they're not movies; they're roller coaster rides or whatever it was, and people got really upset. But like, like you say, who doesn't like a roller coaster? Like, yeah. What's it's not a bad thing. Are we are we a lot of fun anymore, guys? Jeez, You're right? Cultured to like roller coasters. You're cult. I'm sorry. What was that? I'm too cultured to like roller coasters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I see. Um, if I'm not bummed out by my experiences, then are they real? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean that is kind of what it sounds like. If somebody says, "Oh yeah, I, I couldn't like like Marvel films are are no good. You should only watch art films." It's kind of the same thing as saying I'm too cultured to ride a roller coaster. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, like they're both fun. They serve different purposes. But I, I think all of these games are fun. I'm just not quite sure. So if I was trying to chart different games that consider themselves in, under the puzzle section of like a storefront, thinky puzzles, puzzles that lean more on the gameplay and the logic and where everything else is servicing the, the gameplay. Um, I don't know if I would consider a last campfire to be fitting into that. I think that was kind of like where where we started here. We were talking about a last campfire for some reason. Like I, I don't know where to put it on that chart. Like I don't know where they were. Yeah, I mean, because a last a last campfire is super interesting to me because in its marketing, it is very much pushing itself as a like, oh, here's a a a, a cool narrative experience with cool graphics, and then I booted it up. And it's just like, here's a soccer band puzzle. Here's a parody puzzle. Here's here's this thing. And it's it's very tonally um, discordant. Um, well, the like mar it, it, the marketing was off from what the game experience was, which is right. scary. Which I don't think that's a bad idea necessarily. Even um, like if if you can trick people into downloading your game and then your game is good. Then, um, then, then kudos. Yeah, well, I'm sure you both have heard before, like, like someone will discover any of the many decent puzzle games out there and be like, oh, I really like this. I don't normally play puzzle games. There's not a lot of good puzzle games out there or whatever. And it's just for not looking hard enough and, and for not knowing what actually is out there. Yeah, the... Uh... So it kind of feels like maybe if you sell something as a puzzle game, people will be like, oh, or we won't pay attention as much as if you sell it the way that they did. Yeah. So no, absolutely. I, I think I think marketing it as this narrative experience is a way of getting more people to try it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure that worked in the case of Lance Campfire, but that doesn't necessarily mean because because the experience when you boot up Lost Campfire is so different to what you're expecting, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily a bad approach to try in general. It may well have done all right on Apple Arcade for sure, where people are also like, "What have you got to lose to try 
the things. And yeah. You can't refund a game on Apple Arcade. Yeah. I think that's one of the fun things about stuff like Game Pass and Apple Arcade is uh, you can get an, a weird, unusual experience out there and you won't get the, quite the same consumer backlash. If you're like, there could be backlash if people were expecting one game and they got a different one. You know what I mean? Uh, like, I could see that backfiring pretty hard. Um, but yeah, on Apple Arcade, where people are playing it for free, I don't think it'd be that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, it's that, that game specifically is quite interesting to me because it feels like an iPhone game from five years ago in a lot of ways. Like if it came out five years ago, I feel like we would be having a very different conversation about it. We would we, we would kind of expect it to be what it is in a way. But or, or or maybe like slightly longer than five years ago. But like I feel like it feels like that kind of you play it on your phone or, or even like a flash game, like you play it like very casually and like it's a nice pleasant experience with like nice, nice intermissions between puzzles and then some variety of puzzles. And mm -hmm. in some senses, I feel like it's just a reflection of how, how good we've had it since the kind of time when that's kind of what you'd expect. What games lurched us for and what got us out of that and into where we are now? I mean that that I you, you're not paying me enough to answer. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't have any specific games in mind when I say that, mm -hmm. but like I I just have this like vague sense of like memories of like playing playing random flash games or playing random iPhone games, and that is more than anything the feeling that the last campfire evokes when I play it. Hmm. Interesting. With the with the AAA thing of taking control away from you constantly throughout. Yes. yes, that that is obviously the best thing about the Last Empire. Yeah, is that a AAA thing? I think AAA gets I away with it because they have the money thing. to do the cutscenes, and the cutscenes mm -hmm. are what sells the. I mean, you if you're making a game with the trailer in mind, you're probably making a lot of cutscenes. Uh, I mean, like with the kind of taking control away from the player thing that I particularly associate with AAA games, I feel like it's just a very practical thing. Like somebody has decided that the camera needs to show this thing happening at this time or needs to show this cutscene. And then it is easier to know exactly what the camera is going to do before you give control back to the player than, than have a more complicated system where potentially the player could be moving around while other stuff is going on, um, mm -hmm. like any any one individual case of that is something that you could you could fix to be better. But if you have to do if you have to handle it like a hundred times across the game, then suddenly that trade off doesn't might not seem worth it. Even though I hate it. I mean, there's just so many things that go into that, especially when you're talking about. Uh, in AAA development where you have all these different teams in order to communicate that this moment has to have a feeling and it has to give away these story beats because these story beats are important for the narrative team um it's just and easier. those and those beats might inform gameplay also like you might need to know about something that if you're facing the wrong way mm -hmm. like you will have missed and you'll be stuck or whatever um yeah, and those cutscenes are what you're going to use in your marketing materials. It's what's going to sell the game at some level. So they just like sexy, cool art is what sells games. Uh, yeah, photorealism. Don't worry. Soon we'll be worried. We won't be worried about what sells games in that way. Soon we'll be worried about what streams well. And that'll be the only thing that matters is how. Are we, are we not already at that point? Oh, I think we already are. We're just, uh, I don't know if. I mean, I don't personally think about it when I work on games, but I guess a lot of people do now. Like, how? why do streamers want to stream this? What is going to make this highly streamable? It's definitely a huge, like, where the drums are beating in AAA. Yeah, I've complained about it a lot, but, like, we're kind of set up to fail with, uh, with puzzle games in that sense, that they're like, well, at least if your puzzle game follows the structure of, it's a, a one-time non-replayable experience. 
where the person playing it might feel vulnerable and might not want to be watched while they're doing it because they feel like their intellect's already being judged by the game, let alone by an audience of people watching. And like, well, you know, like okay, well. That's where thinky games won't do well. But games that are more experiential, puzzle games in that, in that direction could do quite well because you can just, if it's not a difficult game, if it's not a game where you have to sit down and think, um, if it's a game where you just experience it and you can stop at any time and interact with the chat, that's actually probably a better thing. Yeah, um, but then that kind of game, it'll be uh, like a single linear experience and somebody watches it on Twitch and then doesn't buy it. So lose, lose. It is true. It has to be uh, something where people see it on Twitch and also want to buy it. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. And I, I think that actually is somewhere where Thinky Puzzle Games could have an edge if if people were streaming them in the first place, which is somebody can watch somebody playing on Twitch and go, oh, I reckon I'm smarter than this guy. Mm. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's uh, just a theory. The real trick yeah, is like leaderboards or competitive puzzle games of some sort. Someone's going to crack that. Uh, the competitive logical, the competitive Sokoban. Yeah, the Sokoban 99. Yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, yeah, that would that would be doable. You just have a random daily challenge and a timer for how fast you did it, um, and that's not exploitable at all by somebody <laughs> playing on one device and then playing on another. Maybe. Maybe something will shift, and there'll be like a whole uh, new thing that sells games in a couple of years' time. Because like, when have things not? just kept changing and i don't oh. know what that thing would be but oh i'm sure like we're there's just so many things going on right now that'll change the industry in so many ways mm -hmm. between we're moving to subscription services how is that going to change games uh games that are subscription uh, if you put yourself in microsoft's shoes what they want is uh they want to keep their customers continuously spending money each month so now games that have retention of some sort games that encourage people to come back and play over and over are the ones that microsoft really wants it's also what apple arcade really wants um so at that point what do we do do we make our games episodic if you want to make single player uh experiences do, you, do microsoft actually care about replayable games on game pass or do they just want variety right now they just want variety i mean maybe they won't care but I think it's inevitable that if you have a subscription service and if your goal is to get people to continuously subscribe, then having a game that people continuously engage in is a good idea. I mean, I can definitely see your argument so long as they continuously have new content. That's another way to do it. But it yeah, I mean, Game Pass is actually an interesting example because like, um, like Apple Arcade had Grindstone and I had a lot of people saying, oh man, I want to keep playing this. And if I could just buy it, I would. But since I can't buy it, I guess I'll just have to say subscribe to Apple Arcade. Um, whereas Game Pass, all the games on there, as far as I know, every game is buyable separately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, Microsoft's trying a lot of things simultaneously. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are not, I, I think Apple is definitely swinging, they saw what happened with Grindstone and they're definitely swinging for more games like that. Uh, that's my, what I sense. Um, I don't, I think Game Pass right now is attempting to get like one, one game of every type, every kind of gamer, uh, give everybody a reason to want to purchase Game Pass. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think you just, just go to the, 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 the amount of volume that you have on something like Netflix, where it's just, there's always new content and it's not like, there's always something new to consume and that you don't even. You know, people don't think to cancel their Netflix subscription because they're like, there's always, you know, and obviously replayability. It's not as much of a thing with TV and movies. So. That's true. And I mean, the other thing is, it, it's possible that they just are very different markets. The market for somebody who wants an iPhone game is like, I want something that I'll play. This will be the game that I go to when I'm in my commute. Whereas, you know... I, I'll say I'm not that gamer. When I play a game, I want to sit down and play a game and then I want it to end and then I want to play another game. And so for me, Game Pass makes more sense. And so having a variety of content and constantly having fresh content is a, an interesting way to go. But I just feel like some part of me senses that if Telltale was around today, Telltale 
uh, would be a great thing for for Microsoft to buy. Like Microsoft yeah. would purchase Telltale if they existed today. I just, I mean, if I've got nothing to go on, I just feel like that would be true because I feel like if I was in charge of Game Pass, I would want Telltale specifically to make episodic games so that I captured those people because that's such a great that that's the kind of thing where it's like oh I have this studio and they're uh, they're constantly making they have an audience that wants these games and that audience will stay because they want that episodic content um, and to me I don't I mean this is just purely guesswork but I feel like episodic games could make a comeback because of something like Game Pass I don't that think we're sense. I don't think puzzle games are well positioned to capitalize on that that's just something that I think would be interesting for the industry you can make anything episodic, right? You could. We, like Hitman, Hitman did really well with the episodic format, and I feel like a lot of people probably would have predicted otherwise. And yeah, I definitely, I've definitely thought about it. Like, yeah. uh, especially on Steam, what would it be fun to just launch? Don't even think of it as episodes. Think of it as like launch a sequence of games that are five dollars each standalone. Um. That are just, and, and each episode is a sequel. You just yeah, like, basically, right. <laughs> it comes down to just how you want to frame it. It's still the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That goes back and forth though. There's, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to know the future. And like Alan said, everything changes every five years. Yeah. I mean, I feel like um, you've, You've gotten more cynical because I feel like a couple of years ago you were saying, "Oh yeah, in five years' time it's gonna be like thinky puzzle grid-based games all all over the place. It's gonna be resurgent." We still gotta bring wow. it. Yeah, man, we gotta. This is the wave, man. It's gonna this happen. Wave. This is the wave. Hey, uh, they're gonna. Future historians are gonna look back on <laughs> this video call as the the tipping point. I don't know. I. <laughs> I think it's cool. Like, I think there, I've noticed a lot more highly polished Sokoban games lately. Well, like, it'd be really interesting to see what happens when uh, John Blow's new game comes out, because that's when it's like this thing that is clearly going to have a lot of eyeballs on it and is just the same format as so many other games that have gone under the radar. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that's received and, and whether or not there's like a wave of, um, you know, games like it from people developers who just don't even know these games exist yet well yeah especially because he's yeah, releasing there the was tools. like a wave of witness like games right it's still happening <laughs> is there a wave of witness like games i haven't noticed maybe that's a yeah. sign that that's not the most beneficial thing <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean is there really i mean depends what you define as a wave but like there i'm sure there are more first-person puzzle games where you're wandering around an island solving mm -hmm. puzzles than there would have been if that game had never existed? Probably, sure. I mean, yeah. I think, yeah. And just like first, for a while there, it was like after Portal, there was a lot of Portal likes um, that a, a lot of games were being called Portal-like that were then didn't have the like physical like the the moving around part of it or like the like exhilarating you know i'm flying through the air aspect of, yeah the the, the, the thing that the thing that makes portal good is the writing the atmosphere the puzzles the puzzles were not a wrapper but the puzzles were not the if they, that game was only puzzles it wouldn't be good it was good because of because of everything else the humor the writing the the it's a it's a package for it's sure. a package yeah like that's a that's a game that nailed it, man. Um, and yeah, if you, that's it's not easy to to nail it quite that well. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, this is uh, thank you everybody for listening. Um, this has mostly been a a talk where we shell our our upcoming releases. Please do check out Bonfire Peaks by Corey Martin. Go give that a wish list on Steam. Please check out A Monster's Expedition by Alan Hazelden that just launched two weeks ago. It is actually really fun to play. It's very um, it's like a good, if the day has been a little bit long and heavy for you lately, you can 
sit down and chill out to this really charming game that's really light and playful and fun and it'll get your mind off of things it'll keep you quite engaged i really really like a monster's expedition it, it's a it's absolutely a masterpiece i like it's one of my favorite games of all time damn and yeah like i mean i've uh i need to play it more i've only like four hours in but it is a really good game um how did you get gwen i'll talk to you about that after this and then this uh <laughs> And uh, if you could do me a favor and go wishlist kind on Steam, it is launching October 19th, so I'm very close and I really could use your wishlists. And uh, yeah, sign up for the LabRat beta if you haven't yet. It's at labrat.study. I know that's a lot of action items, maybe a lot of homework, but um, <laughs> it's, um, we've got a lot going on. Please play everything puzzle game that comes out in the next 20 years. Yes, we are. We are pushing the Thinky Puzzle Games. I maintain that we need to change the branding for that. Thinky Puzzle Games is the dumbest branding. Can we come up I'm with? I'm open to suggestions, but logical puzzlers, uh, mm. brain problems. I'm I'm big on brain problems. Brain problems. Come problems. On. Brain problems. Brain mm. problems. Yes, it's brain funny. It's, come on, we have brain problems, Alan. Uh, good good games. Great games. No, too good. too tetrisy. Yeah, uh, it, it could be like, that doesn't say that it's like a logical puzzler. We need something that's like... This has been Gwen Frey and Corey Martin and Alan Hazelden, and you've been in the Dialogue Box.